brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss. So become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. And boom goes the dynamite, dear people. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, just trying to help us all navigate the rough waters of the vast conspiracy... And the sea is angry these days, my friends. And while it is important to maintain a state of calm and critical awareness amongst the coronavirus quarantine chaos, there's no denying that we can see clearly now how certain players of the Capstone Cabal can coordinate their various pieces of the pie to shut down society almost entirely. 2020 vision, indeed. Is this really about a virus, or is this about the technocratic control you've been warned of? Because I don't know anyone who's ill, I haven't seen anybody collapsing in the streets, but almost everyone I talk to is concerned or already deeply affected by the economic situation of this whole operation. Isn't that interesting? But there are many threads on the coronavirus cardigan, and it's hard to keep them all straight. Is this an engineered bioweapon that got out of control? Just an engineered virus-free panic to further the aims of the technocracy? The results of a 5G EMF bath in Wuhan, a scapegoat for a planned economic collapse, or a convenient cover story for an incoming asteroid. Well, I think we all want a little more clarity, and THC has definitely flipped the switch on the digital bat signal and called in a couple of the dark nights I think we need right now for a little pandemic podcasting powwow. And that would be Gordon White of Rune Soup and Chris Knowles of the Secret Sun blog. I'm sure you know them and their work well by now, and with their powers combined, I hope the double dose of insight will serve us all well. It's a little silver lining in the insanity, and I'm psyched to get into it. Christmas comes early with the magic Michelin star chef of the ever-flavorful Rune Soup and the synchro mystic sage of the Secret Sun blog. Gordon and Chris, welcome back as always. Uh, Great to be here. Wish it was under better circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, gathering the brain's trust is gathering the brain's trust. So I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Cheers to that. And yes, I'm definitely calling in the big guns, guys. Though I wish we were, as you say, Chris, breaking bread under less severe circumstances. And it's still a goddamn treat to have you both here. I think people like the comfort of some familiar company and also the insights you can share about reading through the lines here and knowing how to make sense of it all. A little more casual than a normal THC, but let's get into it. Maybe 
You can both just give us your thoughts off the top when it comes to what we've seen in the past week and maybe how it's affected you. Gordon, you want to kick us off? You were traveling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got back from London a couple of days ago. So I've been I've been through a, a whole bunch of uh, seemingly apocalyptic places. And the last couple of nights in London looked that way because people were, were told not to go out and then eventually they did have a shutdown. But I missed that. I will just say on that that um, there's a kind of funny or odd loop where most of the discussion online is uh, about how bad this is. But I'll tell you, and this is a good news piece, but as we move into exploring it, on the ground, no one believes it. Like I was talking to cafe owners and, and restaurant owners as I'm sitting there, the only one in the in the building. And, and in the actual lived day-to-day -day thing, um, most people are already suspicious that what we are being told isn't a very good map of of what's going on. And I think that the, for me, how 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 we approach a sense of coherent analysis at the moment is to break it into into different kind of like bubbles. And 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 the trouble at the moment is people are kind of moving from different um, domains of expertise or understanding and weaving together. And so there's there's challenges with the whole virology model and testing as one area that I think people need to upskill on. And then there's the actual evidence for um that's almost a flow on from that for whatever this virus happens to be now and then there is the kind of next step which is well then how much of this is um is almost like a a fog or aggregate of idiocy and and, and media nonsense and how much of it is a plot right um and, and and that's the bit if you don't kind of separate them out and go well do you understand how virology and testing works and have you actually done a decent data analysis about what it is that we are and aren't being told otherwise you end up with a, this is a bioweapon blah 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 and and it's worse than it is or, or what have you and it's it's if you kind of for me, I think it's intellectually useful to to break it into sort of three sectors so that you don't get caught in the cross currents of fear-based speculation. Um, that would be my opening statement. Christopher. <laughs> yeah. How's the East Coast, Chris? Well, I'll tell you, I went to pick up my daughter in New York. She's <clears throat> She was living in New York, going to school. And uh, it was like the Omega Man driving into uh, New York City. I mean, we're driving in at rush hour. And uh, I, I'll just say this, even at three o'clock in the morning, driving in and out of New York, I've seen more traffic. <clears throat> so yeah. um, it was surreal, but everything has been surreal. And, you know, for me personally, um, my experience of the world has been quite surreal, um, dating back much further back than this virus. So I, I am probably idiotically sanguine about this. I, I'm, I'm just I, I see this. Whatever is going on is just as an inevitability. And, you know, having spent time in the ocean as a kid, you know, inevitability becomes a lesson that you learn and you learn to sort of go with the flow and go with the current and, you know, steer yourself in certain ways. But like just right now, I, I, I almost, I, I hate to say this because this sounds insensitive, but it, I almost feel like I just expected something like this. I've been expecting something like this for a long time. As a matter of fact, Gordon and I, uh, you know, had discussed this uh, pr privately uh, two years ago, and I, I did a post on the um, on the blog called "The Microbes Are Ready." Yeah. When I was just kind of uh, gathering all these stories that were popping up in late 2017, dealing with uh, antibiotic resistance, and then you know, Bill Gates has been banging this pandemic drum for quite some time. And we had Disease X, which popped up. 
don't know if you guys remember Disease X, but there was a whole big back and forth about that. And then, of course, the uh, Event 201 confab last year in in New York City at the Pierre Hotel. So I, I just really, you know, I'm not very happy clearly about what's going on right now. I'm, I'm you know, I'm as nervous and apprehensive as a lot of people are. But at the same time, I just feel like this is, as Gordon would say, you know, this is where we go in this part of the timeline. <laughs> Indeed. And Gordon, you said first we should break this up into bubbles, which is apt terminology for a quarantine, of course. Yep. And I agree. We want to be somewhat methodical. I guess to start at more the beginning, let me ask you about your thoughts on the coronavirus itself. Which way are you leaning on the questions of where did it get started? Is an emerging new virus really why this is all happening? Are you even concerned with getting sick? These sorts of things. Um, if you're asking if it's a bioweapon, it isn't. Um, that's like bioweapons have a kill rate of 60%. Like this is not a bioweapon, right? Um, that said, basically... It is an artifact of testing, which doesn't mean it's not real. Okay, so there's there's a bunch of stuff about virology where anyone who has like a, a flu or a respiratory infection, between five and fifteen percent of them are caused by coronaviruses. So you actually can accidentally invent this if you keep testing for people, right? And that's that's sort of the challenge. And and particularly, and I know you read John Rappaport's stuff too, and he's been playing a blinder with this um, particular situation we're in. Uh, Wuhan is one of the most polluted cities on earth. And all of these people in their 80s who have been smoking for literally 70 years in the mo one of the most polluted cities on earth, come down with pneumonia in pneumonia season, and then they test them. And so between five and 15% of them are going to have coronaviruses in them, because that's one family of viruses that do things like this. So you can accidentally invent this, right? Uh, and that, I think that's kind of what I mean about when you talk about virology and, and virus theories, there's, there's challenges with, well, what is a coronavirus? And then it's how do we measure them? And, and how do we declare whether there is one in there? And, and you can't, if you look at the way they're doing it, it's garbage, right? So they, they found some RNA molecules, which can come from anywhere and are associated with inflammation anyway, and declare that it's a novel coronavirus. But we, we've been sharing this, Greg, like um, false positive rates among asymptomatic people are 80%. Yeah. Like this is not, um, this isn't a, a coherent way. If this was a bioweapon, it would kill more people and it would be easier to track. This is a big chunk of it is the model we have to understand viruses is uh, it's wrong because it's materialism, but more importantly, it's unreliable. You're only ever going to get um, you're only ever going to get kind of like weird uh, guesstimate attempts that continually have to be revised. So in that sense, uh, in that sense, it's it's an artifact of our testing, most importantly, as to whether or not it exists or not as a separate thing from a severe flu. Uh, and I don't, everyone's saying, oh, stop equating it to the flu. I'm like, I'll do you one better. I actually, I think it's less damaging <laughs> than the flu. Yeah. Um, this idea that we should, I'll, I can compare anything to anything. I can compare this to AIDS. I can compare it to Mickey Mouse. This idea you shouldn't compare it to flu. I'm like, really? Do you want it? Let's play data, shall we? Let's, let's go with this. And, and step one is to kind of take a deep fucking breath and go, okay, well, how do we know what we know? And as soon as you get to there, you realize it's garbage before you even throw in some of the stuff like the clearly faked things coming out of Italy. And and from step one, we actually need to know, well, what the, what the F is virology? And 
And how are we understanding how many cases we have? And I'll give you another bit, the data thing that is killing me, right? 99% of people who've died in Italy have pre-existing conditions. But when you're looking, and this is happening at the moment, the total case count is now bigger outside China than inside China. That's crap. That is that is an accumulation of every single case for a, of an outbreak that's been going for four months. It lasts for five weeks. So you, you can't actually just count every single one and go, oh, there's more cases outside of China than there is now. I'm like, but okay, divide it by five weeks then. That's an aggregate of numbers based over four months and out of a test that is unreliable. So this this thing from the very beginning is a mess. And, and I'm not sure how much of that I'm going to go with. 3070 is a deliberate mess versus um, a, a side effect of a, of a dysfunctional worldview that's kind of like caused different governments and so on to panic. I think there is an op here quite clearly, and it's a, a technocratic play in particular focused on Europe. But I don't think that requires the coordination across the entire planet. That is, it's a very reasonable pushback on, oh, okay, if it's an op, are you telling me Iranian prison guards are, are, are coordinating with President Xi. And I'm like, no, I'm not actually. I'm, I'm saying that the way we have our, um, the way the world agrees that viruses exist means that you actually only need to kind of do a little bit of a kick and the whole thing tumbles into this panic reaction. Uh, and so that's kind of where I wanted to say bubble the one, bubble first is virology and testing. Um, and then I want to look at the actual data that's showing up out of this unreliable system. And then after that, we can do, as Chris would say, cui bono, like who, where, who and where is winning um, out of this and who, as a result, might be might we finger for the person who caused it versus who is using this as an opportunity to push their own kind of agendas. So th those are the kind of bubbles. And if we don't sort of separate them out. We do end up with a lot of the low quality discussion that has been going on um, about China's lying about the numbers and, and Trump's lying about how bad it is. And this is a bioweapon and blah, 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 blah. Like, OK, everyone calm down and go, you let's how are they lying about the numbers? Let's actually look at how how we create these numbers and then and then move it from there. And I think that is where we need to. That is the, to me, the the most rational way to not just trying to get a head around what is in fact going on, but in a way that it can provide what Catherine Fitz would call actionable intelligence. Because we people listening to this are doing two things: they want to know what the hell is going on, but they also want to know what the hell is going on from a personal threat assessment perspective. What should they be scared of, and in what way? And I think the clean way to do that is virology and testing data around this particular virus, and then cui bono. But those are my thoughts. What do you reckon, Chris? Well, I want to offer a word of dissent here. I mean, not directly, but I believe that this coronavirus is a is a class a classification of virus, right? Everybody's sort of talking yeah. about this virus like it's like a particular virus that is unique from other viruses, and coronavirus is a, is a classification that uh, alludes to how it behaves and and how it infects people because of its architecture and so on. So. Um, I believe that this virus um, did escape from a laboratory. I don't believe it was weapons testing, but I believe that it had grown out. I, I believe the testing that was being done on this virus has grown out of a story that absolutely no one's talking about, but a story that I had been tracking for a number of years now in which um, the moratorium on biological weapons testing was lifted. Uh, I believe back in 2015, 
you know, very quietly lifted and that a number of different viruses were, you know, started to be experimented with, started to be experimented on. Um, and, and five of these were coronaviruses. So we had five coronaviruses and I think five bird flus, you know, flus in that, that family because bird flu is essentially considered the most serious and the most deadly form of flu. So I believe that what has been going on is that there's been a lot of testing either for weaponization or for defense against weaponization and that this particular virus, the COVID-19, you know, the fact that they're, you know, denying it so strongly that we're seeing so many blaring headlines saying this did not come from, you know, that Wuhan Virology Institute that's 20 miles down the street from where this, uh, you know, has said to have broken out in this, uh, this, this fish market. So I, I believe that um, what we are seeing is one of the reasons why biological testing was banned in the first place, because uh, it's extraordinarily dangerous and it can backfire on you. That being said, I mean, I'm not exactly sure that the this particular COVID virus um, is the problem that that it is, I, I still have a very strong feeling, and I, you know, I've discussed this with Gordon, and he disagrees with me. But I, I get the feeling that something else is coming down the pike that is, uh, you know, much more grave danger to us all, and that is why we're seeing this, um, you know, really extraordinary lockdown. I mean, because it's true. I mean, I, I, you know, again, you, you you've been prohibited from saying certain things, you know, comparing this virus to, to flu virus and so on, you know, but we have had much more dangerous flu viruses in the past several years. And we've had, um, I, I believe it's five years now in a row where flu viruses were basically, not basically, they were useless. And, you know, they said that these, these viruses are useless, but they said you should get them anyway, you know, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. But, you know, what do I know? So I, I believe that this virus is an artifact of this, um, you know, this uh, the, the moratorium being lifted on weaponization of coronaviruses and bird flu viruses. I, I believe that that's the work that was being done at this uh, Wuhan uh, Institute, again, 20 miles due south of the fish market where this is said to have broken out. You know, they were probably maybe doing, you know, treatment uh, options for it. I mean, it, it could be entirely benign. It could be entirely defensive, but I do think the, the coincidence there is just too stark to ignore. It wasn't and, 20 miles though. It was, it was much closer, wasn't it? It was like 900 feet. Or something. I, 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 I guess, I mean, I, 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 according to the map that I'm looking at it, it was, it was about 20 miles down the street, but you know, we've heard stories that there were, um, incidents at this particular location, uh, one of which was that uh, monkeys that had been tested on had had freaked out and so somehow escaped from the cages and started biting people and all this kind of insanity. And that, you know, there was a, a concern that um, maybe it wasn't even a live virus that that had been infecting somebody who worked there who, you know, began to, uh, dis, you know, distribute it among the populace. But I mean, I realize that Wuhan is is very polluted. But I mean, you can say that about any number of Chinese cities. Um, you know, we've seen over the past 10 years, I mean, 
pictures where it's dark at noon and everybody's wearing goggles and masks because the pollution is so bad. And that's any yeah. number of cities in China. But they're not, so the I, other cities aren't being tested for it. So you, you just have people in those cities die of pneumonia. Like if you actually look at the number of people who die of pneumonia in pneumonia cities in in, in big cities in China, like the the number of people who apparently had coronavirus and died from it just is lost in that noise. So you actually can just literally invent it by looking for it. No, I, I understand that. But the coincidence is just too stark for me. And the fact that, you know, a lot of people, influential people have been risking really pissing China off by coming out and saying that this is because of the irresponsible handling at this virology center. And, you know, uh, people, high placed people in the Indian government said this as soon as the outbreak began. You know, we've had a lot of prominent Republicans like Tom Cotton talking about this and saying that this is China's Chernobyl, you know, making that that this is irresponsible handling of biological materials leading to what, what, what we're seeing. So I think we're seeing an overabundance of caution in some regards. And, but you know, you always have what's that Rahm Emanuel, you know, maxim, never let a crisis go to waste. So well, there could be a yeah, number of things of happening. But uh, I did want to say, like, if you start with virology and testing, I guess we're jumping to Cui Bono, right? Um, because the fact I wanted to start with, this is the challenge with locating a with, with saying a virus even exists in the first place. It doesn't mean just because I don't think it came from the lab. I don't think it was fake. I think you can actually say um, whether it exists or not. This is a kind of um, Bill Gates level technocratic plot right so you uh, and that's what i see in a whole bunch of things like china's response and in countries that don't seem to give a fuck who should like japan uh japan doesn't have an outbreak and it was supposed to be the next wuhan because they're not testing people right so they've ended up with like 900 cases they should have apparently had thousands because they had one of those apparent plague ships dock right um th so it's not just india it's also um russia doesn't seem to give a give a goddamn shit about it either and all these countries that you think would shows that the the reaction is planned because look at the there is an unevenness if it was something big coming down the pike um, Japan would be, be reacting in a way that would look like Europe and the US, because if, especially if it was extraterrestrial, for instance, that the Japanese space agency shares that kind of information on a space agency to space agency basis. And we're not seeing that. We're seeing the countries that are under the technocratic thumb uh, reacting in a way that leads towards technocracy. The China, like going after China for this is literally one of the points. Like I've been saying this for um, since 2016, that and since the arrival of Trump, Part of the game is the onboarding of manufacturing steps back inside the U.S. So, of course, you're going to get Republicans saying China mishandled this. China's unreliable. The whole point of the sanctions and the rest of it is to bring those manufacturing steps back into North America. And this will certainly accelerate that. So that's either I, I think that's a subset of the, the, the technocratic goal, but it is absolutely part of it. So you're right that everyone's going after China for it for reasons that look like racism and in the case of trump are racism um but there's there's a very specific purpose behind it that doesn't need to be oh i'm not sure what's going on here so no it's it's quite explicit what's going on here it's it's a continuation and more importantly a dialing up of the macro project we have seen since 2016 and that's the scary bit for me right if we're at kui bono and this is something Catherine fitz said last week in in money and markets right which is whatever is going on Picture it like this. Mr. Global has said you aren't achieving these milestones fast enough. 
So let's get this done. So there is a point in time, I agree with you on this, Chris, I think that's what you're, you're feeling. There is a point in time that a, the technocratic, technocratic layer is trying to get a whole bunch of projects done by, right? And that's going to end up being things like a digital currency and 24-7 and surveillance of people, whether it's via ID2020 chips or your phone or the rest of it. There is the, the remaining kind of like four important pieces of a full technocratic takeover, for whatever reason, have been like, prioritized it's it's like when your boss will yell at you like get this done i don't care you need to have this done by now and whatever now is um i guess we'll find out <laughs> <laughs> well said and you know i do think there's some international games being played with the blame game but the story it is interesting that they're attacking like this wet market they're attacking a place where people go for food well they knocked it down Oh, well, there you go. They knocked it down. Did you see that? The, like, I did. A, a week and a half ago, you think, well, that's fucking dodgy. Like, if, if this is if this is ground zero of a, of a dangerous virus, you would keep it open and you would descend on it with your little swabs and, and whatever and, and, and see what else you can find. But China knocked it down. Right. Well, that goes to my point. And also, it's just like the story that this is like uh, a bat soup situation. That sounds more like something that plays on Westerners' assumptions and prejudices about the East oh, yeah. rather than something that actually happens. Yeah, I think that story is absolute nonsense. You know, the pangolin, that, you know, they were, it's, I just, I don't believe it at all. I mean, again, I do believe that it, it, it came out, you know, I do diverge from Gordon on this. I, I just, the, the, I find the coincidence there just too stark to, to ignore. But, you know, I wanted to just sort of place this in context. And, and these are things that, that Gordon would be aware of. But for the past several years, um, there's been a growing chilliness uh, between the Chinese Communist Party and uh, Western corporate interests. And that the, um, the welcome mat that had been pull, put out for uh, Western corporate interests since Nixon um, is being drawn back. And uh, you know, one of the things that I got this information from are people who uh, have YouTube channels who um, have been living in China and have since moved to places like uh, Thailand or Vietnam, uh, you know, places still in Asia where they can do business and continue doing the work that they were doing. But um, I, I was hearing a lot uh, of admittedly anecdotal information about the uh, – chilliness growing between um, people doing Westerners doing business in China and the Chinese. And this is something that predates uh, this latest situation. So I, I think that there is, you know, as Gordon says, I, I do definitely think that we are going to see uh, a, a massive pullback of corporate uh, and technological uh, manufacturing being done back in the United States. And, you know, this is something Gordon and I discussed a number of years ago when he talked about 3D printing and, and all these kind of technologies that are allowing you to get around that uh, market and that huge disparity in, in, in wages between uh, China and the West. So, you, you know, we are seeing a lot of technologies that are, that are working to counteract that. Um, but as far as, you know, I'm not exactly sure that this is a Mr. Global plan because the the linchpin of Mr. Global's plan is China. I mean, China is the, the no, it's not uh, not anymore. I guarantee it's not uh, like it, it, not anymore. And especially at the moment, if you're looking at a Europe that's about to fail, 
and that's where they're at from a debt perspective. Europe can't fail, and in, in, and by that I mean Brussels. So let's let's do it this way, Chris. If next week we're recording this on a Sunday morning, my time. If on Monday there's a three-week bank holiday in Europe, it's Mr. Global, um, because we're looking at at Europe suspending um, its it's having a three-week bank holiday, currency cancellation, and the rise of eurobonds, because that's what. That's what the China thing and, and the rest of it is about. It, this is where we will see the digital currency start because Europe is ruined uh, without it. And I think that's one of the things that's pulled it forward. I guarantee it's a China is, hasn't been the linchpin of um, Mr. Global's plans for a while. Um, the, 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 well, it actually it has, but the guy like the, the continuation of Europe is, is, uh, is a bigger part of that. And let me tell you, I think it's a hit against a coherent China because if you look at the other places that are allegedly having a bad time with this virus, you have Iran and Italy, and those are the kind of turning points on the Silk Road. So um, Iran is where you kind of like turn right <laughs> to get into Europe, and Italy is where you turn left. So you've actually got the, uh, like a smackdown, not just on China, but on um, this, which by the way is a scam, like Silk Road is is a boondoggle promise for um, Eurasian countries to fall under China's thumb. Like the idea that you can use a train to bring things into Europe. Again, people just need to look at the data on this. Like um, one super tanker can take the equivalent um, cargo of a hundred trains. So you'd actually need a hundred train tracks next to each other going through Mongolia to replace one uh, one super tanker. So it's it's not actually um, it what the what the hit is about is the kind of Chinese economic dominance of a, of a cohering Eurasia. So I think it's highly suspect that the the worst places apparently that are having challenges with this virus are kind of like. The, the right turn and the left turn on the Silk Road. That seems like it's, if we're talking about it can't be a coincidence, well, that one can't be a coincidence. That's interesting. It's like a Western clapback on the idea of the Silk Road initiative. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah, basically. Because well, now you've I, just I, added just a whole bunch of fear and risk on that. Yeah, go for it. I, I just want to say that um, one, of the, one of the reasons as far as Italy is concerned, and, and I know that there's a lot of controversy about what is in fact actually going down there, and that I, one of the numbers I read that 80% of the people who had died uh, apparently from coronavirus had you know, serious um, medical issues. Uh, other it's 99%. Than, yes. 99%. It's not yeah, 80%. And, 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 and there's also the issue of because of uh, Merkel and Macron basically screwing over Southern Europe, that uh, Europe is... I mean, Italy in particular skews much older than other countries because so many yep. young people have left to uh, find employment. But uh, the other thing that I would offer as far as um, Italy's concern is that Italy is also, you know, a big player in the textile, clothing and fashion market. And that, you know, uh, China basically took that over in uh, I would say the late nineties. And, and, you know, this is something that I can speak to from experience because, you know, all the, I used to do a lot of work, uh, t-shirt work and so on for um, clothing manufacturers in New York. And, and most of them are gone. And uh, most of the others have either been bought out by Chinese interests or uh, Syrians. So uh, I think that that might have a lot to do, you know, from what I've read that in particularly in Florence is a large Chinese population because of uh, this industry. But, you know, I just want to say, I mean, Gordon is much more, as you can tell by this conversation, Gordon is a lot smarter than I am. And he's a lot better read. Um, I, I, I go by uh, instinct and, and so on and probably, you know, you know, 
to my detriment. Uh, but I, I just feel um, I, I can't I can't pin the tail on this. Is, is all I'm saying is that I am not confident or comfortable making any kind of definitive statement about what is really going on here because uh, I'm looking at in the background again of this uh, this chilling between. Uh, Chinese interests and American corporate interests, uh, and you know, but let's also look at the fact that you know, um, the media in in America is increasingly owned by Chinese uh, interests, uh, Chinese um, sovereign uh, capital companies, and so on. Uh, companies uh, related to uh, the the Chinese Army, uh, the People's Revolutionary Army. Um, you know, but the media, um, uh, the Colleges, so many things that we talked about, Greg. You know, as far as these these industries that are being sort of hammered by the woke virus, um, yeah. You know, the the Chinese bought into these industries in a, in a very very big way uh, in in the '90s and early 2000s. So um, you know, they're getting hammered there as well. And but then we've also seen this incredibly strange uh, and troubling, and, and I'm sure this is fits more into Gordon's. Uh, description of this, but you're seeing all these CEOs of, of the hugest companies in the world uh, stepping down. And in yeah. some cases, looking like they're stepping down under duress. And I know, you know, so you, you're Q and non people all say that this is you know, the storm and they're all part of this international pizza gates conspiracy and all things like that. I mean, I think that there's, in fact, something going on. But, you know, this just really speaks to things that, you know, Gordon and I have been talking about uh, before, well before Trump was elected, and that's this whole idea of the war in heaven, that there are huge uh, international, monetary, financial, corporate, military interests that are vying for dominance and doing so um, out of our reach, out of our sight, and we only sort of see, you know, we get the we see the breadcrumbs falling with, from the table, but we don't see what's being served. So, I think that um, I cannot make personally, I cannot make a definitive uh, answer or definitive thesis as to what we are in fact seeing because there are so many things going on and so much data that, that I, you know, at least I have no access to. Fair. And let me just back this up a little bit to that underlying topic of virology and testing, because I'm really combining the work of John Rappaport and David Crow and John is saying, like, look, all these people do have other conditions, as Gordon threw out, 99%. And it seems like these people have particular conditions that don't jive well with the treatments they're getting, with these malaria and Ebola drugs. Exactly. Oh, my God. And so these are the reasons why people are dying. And just to throw out David Crow's thing, he studied SARS a lot, which was the last coronavirus. And his attitude is they can control the amount of cases they get with the testing because it is kind of an yep. artifact of testing, like you said. So if they want less cases, they'll either test less people or change the parameters of the test, and then they get to claim themselves as the hero. And I thought it was really interesting because my paranoia is getting tested, testing positive, and then getting thrown into the ringer because I won't have control over my decision to opt out of the dangerous treatments. But I thought it was really interesting when Trump and Pence were on TV today, given this press conference, and they were both very adamant that if you don't have symptoms, do not seek out a test. And yeah. I was very happy to hear that because it sounds like there might be some games and some pushback there. But Gordon, talk to us about virology and testing. Oh, 
Thank you, Gregory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I agree with Chris that we don't know what's going on. My point is to, to find the actionable intelligence. And the main one that, and, and I think this is true, the main one that we want to get across is is be not afraid, in particular of the virus, for a bunch of reasons. And what and I, I mean, I mean this like it may not exist, like it may be an artifact of this testing. But I'll talk you through a, a whole bunch of that. The uh, and then we'll end up with what I what I will tell you to do if you do get forced. If what happens is that you end up, in particular, in the U.S., where everyone has to take the test, and that's that will be another indication that it's like the Bill Gates level technocrat plot, right? But before we get to that, let's talk about how you, um, uh, it appears that this novel coronavirus responds to uh, malaria treatments and azithromycin. Now, that is basically proof that the thing you were looking at is a cluster of symptoms associated with like a nest of things that go on. Like azithromycin is an antibiotic. It does nothing to viruses, but it will take care of anything opportunistic uh, that comes along while you are sick. Same thing with something like uh, malaria. Malaria can prevent... Um, essentially the movement of viruses into cells, same thing with uh, HIV treatments, right? Which like, I think I told you, Chris, that I bought, <laughs> I bought a bunch of prep before I went to Europe in case I got trapped there, which I wouldn't take ordinarily because these are, um, the, the way they work by uh, um, stopping reverse transcription, that process is required for about 50% of the cells in your body. So you shouldn't be taking it at the best of times. But the fact that it's not just that the testing is unreliable and that 99% of people have pre-existing conditions. The proof that there's kind of nothing there is that a broad spectrum approach apparently cures it. And that wouldn't be the case if the symptoms are associated with a so-called novel coronavirus. It's, it's, it's impossible. And we would have the evidence of that if people had actually um, acculturated the, the RNA, RNA molecules associated with this virus from someone who was sick and then put it in another animal and observed the appearance of those symptoms. But no one in this process has done it, right? So this is kind of what I mean, like be not afraid of the virus and for a bunch of reasons, when I say it might not exist, you will still get sick because, you know, in, in the Northern Hemisphere, you're coming to the edge of flu season, but it shifts from a place of terror with all these fake pictures of people in like masks spraying things down and whatever to a place of um, lean forward optimism. It's like, right, well, I'm going to take my immune system seriously. I'm going to, I'm going to stop eating this garbage. And, and right now, if you're stuck at home as I am, get a regular amount of sleep and get it at night. Um, do some sort of regular exercise, stop eating garbage, manage things like inflammation. And when it comes to testing, Greg, this is, this is the tip, right? Um, the tests that they will send you are not just unreliable, but they're essentially looking for inflammation markers. So like the RNA molecules that they have decided is associated with this um, virus will show up in states of inflammation. So if you're a bit sick, you will probably, you are more likely to test uh, for it, right? Mm -hmm. But you can do things like a, a three-day fast will completely reset your immune system, right? So if, you, if you're going to get this test, uh, and I don't mean like if you're sick and you're going to get the test because you've kind of bought into this thing or whatever. And you know what? Manage your own health how you want to manage it. But I'm saying for people who are like you and me concerned about a test, which will mean in the case of the U.S., 330 million DNA um, samples associated with either an ID2020 tag or a telephone number, an app that will allow you. The thing is they're going to force 
total 24-7 uh, surveillance of you because the story is going to be you might be an asymptomatic carrier. Right. And so we need to know where you are at every single moment of your day and work out who it is you're hanging out with right. so that we can trace back this imaginary virus. It's, this is the technocratic plot. It's really, really bad. And one of the things we can do is when we're stuck inside is obviously manage your health. That is your job now. Your job is to have the best immune system possible. And there are hacks for that when it comes to the virus, which is, is things like, if again, if you don't have underlying conditions, a three-day water fast will reset your immune system. People have won Nobel Prizes in medicine for it. Like that's, there are things we can do, but the game is, is this. The game is um, a combination of 24-7 monitoring with approval of movements, which is already happening in China and Europe, um, and matching that to your DNA. Like, this is the dream. This is what I mean. Like, it's the next goddamn step in in, in a global technocracy. And, and Chris mentioned the woke virus, right? This is a perfect example. So it's a Catherine Fritzism, but, like, here's the thing. She observed last year, and it's true, because we were talking about how um, the, the woke virus destroys everything it touches, and it doesn't work anymore. But none of Mr. Global's narratives are working anymore, and they are, in fact, making it worse. Climate change, making it worse. Refugee crisis, making it worse. Identitarianism, making it worse. So, again, picture the scenario where it's like, my plans for moving the planet into this technocratic managerial structure are not working. Right. What do we do? And this is what we do. Yes. And it's also important to point out that a plan is not set in stone. You know, we can yeah. react to it and this might all fall apart, but it's important to talk about what they want to do. And I agree with you on the surveillance aspect. You can get a situation where they've got your cell phone. So anytime they see 10 cell phones uh, interacting together in one place, they just send the cops out and break it up. You know, you're not supposed to be here. Social distancing. And I worry about the test, but more so the fact that they're going to send this out after everyone's been inside for 30 days under artificial light, afraid to go outside, no relief from their own EMF exposure or Wi-Fi exposure in their house. And after, say, 30 days, all your good produce is going to be gone. You're going to be eating those chips. You're going to be eating that corporate food. So when the time for the test does come, there'll be a lot of broken immune systems out there. And I hope a strong immune system is enough to beat the test. I really don't know enough about that. I'm worried that it's just an RNA marker. So like, I don't know if it's directly related to the immune system. It's a bit of a crapshoot. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a crapshoot, but the thing you can do best to to minimize getting a, a positive result um, is to make sure that you are in the, like the least possible inflamed state because it, you essentially have more RNA junk floating around um, when you're in a state of inflammation. So that's the only thing you can do. But the other thing, like, I, I get why the president doesn't want everyone to be tested because um, leaving aside the fact that people who apparently have a, 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 who test positive for a coronavirus, which they would because between five and 15 percent of people who present symptoms have a coronavirus. But more importantly, even a 95 percent accurate test, which is what they're saying it is trash, doesn't matter. Do the numbers on this. So a, a small amount of the population actually has um, the coronavirus. But if you test 330 million people, 5% of 330 million people means that you have more false positives than you do people that have the coronavirus. Yes. And that, like, so if you test everyone, you, you literally do the numbers and go, well, more people will have it than don't. This is like, Anyway, the, the point I wanted to talk about all this is just for people to take a deep breath and, and, and be not afraid of the virus and be very and consequently 
that changes how we look at what um, what may be the plan, which is a fun thing to do. But again, I'm more interested in okay, well, based on based on trajectories, because this gets really bad from an economic perspective, and that may not have even been um, the goal. Because as you say, Greg, um, this plan, like all plans. Um, won't succeed. There's something built into the universe that's very Tower of Babel, where all through history we try to do it and it doesn't work. So we're just on one of those upswings towards like technocratic totalitarian. It it never works. (laughs) However, the upswing and the collapse, we have to live through. (laughs) So that's kind of what I mean. Don't be afraid of the virus and, and spend some time trying to understand what you think is going on, but mostly from the perspective of deriving personal tactics out of it i say okay cool so i don't need to be as scared of the virus unless i'm in my 80s and i've been smoking for 70 years and i live somewhere very polluted and and all that kind of stuff and you know what cool if you're we're all to some extent immunocompromised but if you're not or even if um you can manage that you know your own goddamn immune system right but then look at the medium term of going okay so we're looking at 20 percent unemployment we're looking at nationalization of um, airlines and other businesses we're looking at a complete swamping out of small and medium businesses so that all of this money which is coming via a, a, a republican ubi will just get pumped back into um amazon and and everywhere else you think this is like that's what's going to happen one way or the other. Whatever you think the virus is and whoever you think and whatever you think the goal of this operation is, that's going to happen one way or the other. We're going to end up with 20% unemployment, we're going to end up with effectively a great depression. So, that's the bit where you kind of need to go, okay, this is the thing to not necessarily be scared of, but like put your awareness and your focus on how you manage that. Um what is what are your exposures um we just in the members area we just finished a a wealth magic course which did a whole bunch of strategy at the very beginning around this notion of first survive right and that essentially means find your helms deep like in in the case of where it is you are going to and i don't mean like a bug out bag in the woods i mean where can you live whether it's with friends or family or even you might be that person where you can effectively live forever on zero money right so what's your version of that because people are going to be looking at well um uh, my rent is this much and I only have this much money in the bank and, and so on and and have those discussions with people because you might think it's weird. Let me tell you, everyone's thinking it, right? So talk to your friends or family or whoever combination of people that is, there is a tremendous amount of like relief that comes from knowing that even if you don't have to to roll it out. And And that's kind of what, if you break it into bubbles and go, well, what's virology? Let's look at the threat assessment from the virus. And then the next two is is cui bono, but also what do we do? And and I'm I'm very big on making sure that um, we can speculate. And I, I think it's a, a technocratic plot, but it, I don't let my strategy about what it is I do hinge on being right about who I think is kind of behind it. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Chris, what are you thinking? Well, I, I think that what Gordon says about your immune system is excellent advice. And I think it's advice that people should be following anyway. Um, but, you know, I just, again, I mean, again, this would be a boring show if I just agreed with everything Gordon said. But, um, <laughs> right? like, I, like Catherine Austin Fitz, like, I think she knows the markets real well. But, you know, I think her, um, she's a very, she's got a real boomer mentality. And her boomer mentality is like when, oh, you know, globalism was sort of coming up the pike in the in the early Reagan administration and and it was sort of everyone's focus um, I think mr 
Mr. Global is, is, is either dead or on his sickbed, to be honest with you. I think what we're seeing here is not like, oh, let's, you know, get this new world order, uh, get everyone online, you know, worldwide and stuff. I think this is the exact opposite. I think this is using, you know, this opportunity, uh, you know, let's put the, you know, the best spin on this, just using this opportunity to um, dismantle globalism. I think globalism is, is being destroyed. I think that um, globalism was something that was tried and it was tried because there was um, a problem in the early, like late seventies, early eighties. And it had to do with uh, GDP growth and it had to do with productivity and it had to do with, you had, um, you know, you're sort of on the, the, the cusp of dealing with an aging population, you know, particularly in America, but also in the West in general. And, you know, this is something that has really accelerated in Europe. Um, we, we sort of, headed it off at the pass a bit because we had, uh, you know, a mini baby boom in the eighties when a lot of boomers started having children in the late eighties and stuff. Um, but I, I think that globalism, I, well, globalism has, has always existed, right? It's always been sort of this pipe dream dating back to Alexander the great, but I think a lot of people who might not have signed on to it, signed on to it because of these crises that we were seeing, Beginning in the 70s, uh, with what you know, what they call stagflation, and um, you know, maturing of, of markets, maturing of industries, that it, it just seemed like um, you know, having that sort of closed shop idea was not um, the way forward to increase GDP and to create a more dynamic uh, economy and dynamic um, you know, corporate environment. I think what what we've seen is that we're sort of like um, it's it's kind of like one of these science fiction movies where something's grown from an embryo to death in like you know <laughs> a week or something, because um, uh, the the the, the uh, course of of globalism reminds me a lot of you know a Marxist critique of the course of, of of capitalism. So you know just as a lot of Marxists believe that we're in in late capitalism now, I think like we said, I think we're in late globalism. I think globalism is either dead or on its deathbed, and you might oh, notice totally. it, you know, and you might notice totally. it. You know, we never see uh, George Soros um, make any personal appearances anymore. I think he's sick. I think he's extremely sick. Um, and, it, you know, a lot of it was his money. And I think him funneling Chinese money uh, into the West, into all these nonprofits and um, so on. And I got to tell you, I was just laughing because I, I saw like this emergency alert on Twitter, like Bloomberg Business Week or something was saying, you know, you you know what we've really got to worry about is these nonprofits in New York that are you know, going out of business. And you know, it's funny too because when you look, when you think about like Mr. Global, I mean, who's who? Who would you choose more as Mr. Global as uh, Mike Bloomberg? And then we we see him in the in the the, the debates, and he's just a a fucking idiot. I mean, he just got his shit oh, just completely sliced to ribbons. I mean, there's Mr. Global right there. I mean, he's the guy. But we're actually who, saying the same thing, Chris. That's what I'm saying. Like it's the, the narratives aren't working. I, I I agree. I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm saying this is the game. Like, and, right. and I think you can see that in the, the military Trump uh, react, like th this idea he was sort of slow to get on board or what have you. You look at it and go, this isn't, uh, this isn't the scenario plan that we had for how we managed China. And I think that's what I mean. Like technocratic Mr. Global, the difference, the, the layer is sort of like U.S. technocrats and Brussels technocrats are the same. They believe in things like the EU and so on. That's what I think this plot is. I don't think it's any kind of worldwide conspiracy. I think you can actually get the world panicked into this. And you'll notice it's kind of not yet working. So even though um, Gates 
did like he stepped down, but he also stepped down from very unusual finance uh, places. Like he was on um, the uh, Buffett's board, for instance, and he stepped away from that. Berkshire Hathaway. Boat. Yeah, yeah. So he was see, on the that, board and stepped back from it. I see, but that gets my that gets my my hackles up because it's like I can see him stepping down from Microsoft because it's like he's been with that company for fifty years. But his his seat on the board of Berkshire Hathaway, I mean, that's his seat on the fucking Mount Olympus. You know what I'm saying? That's something that people die with that on their resume. You don't you don't walk away from that, and I just I can't help but wonder. Unless you have another operation to crash things like that. This is what I think it is. I yeah, think, even I he, think even it is. Well, it's, not, it's not that. It's that. Let me. No, no, no. It's not that. It's not that. Okay. This is the. This is the Mr. Global technocratic scenario that I think it is, and I don't think it works. That's my point. But it's because they've been told like none of the other. The plan wasn't working, so let's give this one a shot. He's basically. He's still shilling even now the ID twenty twenty thing, right? So let's say you see the idea of the. Um, global pandemic uh, and and countries will react the way they do for a bunch of reasons. That's how they react, especially uh, countries post 9-11 that have all these, this whole industry of um, disaster response professionals that people, government money goes to so that different organizations and government departments know what their disaster response thing is for earthquakes and terrorist attacks and bioweapons and so on. So everyone's kind of like, this is Marge's time to shine. You know, they're, they're like, yes, let's, let's roll this out. And you can kind of get that to work but you'll notice um it's it's not foregone so he's he's out there shilling we need to do this now and we need to do this now so like the the game is afoot rather than foregone and that's kind of what i mean i don't think it works I, well i i think cosmically technocracy doesn't work because that's not how the universe works but that's like a metaphysical discussion rather than a tactical one i think this is the game but it definitely doesn't work like what happens is as europe probably next week does its three-week bank holiday and um, does a currency cancellation on the way to like a digital version of it that's backed by euro bonds um that that panics the markets even more and that actually ends the eu over the next couple of years right so this is the kind of thing armstrong's predicting about all that money coming back into the u.s i don't think it works i think this is the plot that's kind of different right well, no, I just want to take this down to sort of a basic psychology issue. So if, if, if we're seeing this, this virus and the scare and then the, the disruptions in the economy, disruptions in the market, disruptions in, you know, say sports leagues, um, just canceling their seasons and losing hundreds of billions of dollars, which I can't imagine for the life of me that they would do, um, just to go along with this program. I mean, on a basic, psychology issue you know psychological issue you know if you're trying to sell this idea of globalism and, and international open borders you know i mean they've really been pushing this open borders idea really hard for the past three or four years what could be more destructive i mean more annihilating to this idea of of free travel and open borders and you know the international brotherhood of man is, is thinking that like People are bringing a deadly virus into your country. There's, there's absolutely that is primal. There's no that that is the absolute. This is why we had witch hunts. You know what I mean? This is why we've had uh, uh, pogroms and 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 massacres because oh they're plague carriers. You understand what I'm saying? This is basic, yeah, totally. primal animal survival tech, uh, psychology. So. I cannot see for the life of me that whatever is going on here was like Mr. Global saying, all right, this is our last ditch effort. I just 
don't think that makes any I sense. I'll tell you why. This, I, I, it does. Suicide. I'll tell you why because it's no, it's not. It's you're, you're thinking like an American, okay? Think like a European. This is saving the EU. The EU doesn't, in its own opinion, Brussels doesn't have sovereignty over its borders. So what do we have at the moment? You remember last week, 50,000 US troops showed up and it, in Europe and it was all, ha, 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 they don't have masks. Like, oh, yes, that was an oopsie-daisy. The, the US military forgot to bring masks. No, um, the EU, Macron wants it, Brussels wants it. They want, to, they want a goddamn army and they want Brussels sovereignty over the borders. These and the Eurobond and the currency is the up. The EU must survive. You're thinking about it like it's it's American. If it is uh, if it is a level of yeah, globalist no, 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 no. that is that is prioritizing Europe, this is where this is exactly what it would look like. Yeah, but that's but you, what you're talking about is the institution of fortress Europe. I mean, you know, shutting yeah. down the whole Schengen Agreement. Um, you know, they're 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 finally blocking all these uh, migrant boats coming in from North Africa. Um, you know, shutting down the flow coming in Turkey. You, what you're talking about is not globalist. It's not Mr. Global. It might be, you know, the people who sort of, you know, these European aristocratic houses and European banks and stuff that were start, you know, that saw globalism as their way out of their, you know, their post-war impasse. But this is this is this is a the the the, the tide going out on globalism. This is the return to fortress Europe. This is the return to fortress America. I mean, this is this is the the. The death now. I mean, this is the death blow to, to Mr. Global. I mean, this is killed. There's just, that, there's no way yeah. that I, I just, I cannot wrap my head around the fact. I mean, no matter how important Europe is, what they are creating in in people's minds is the opposite of open borders, the opposite of of globalism, internationalism, all these kind of things. It's it's the exact opposite. It's back to lift, you know, lift up the drawbridge, you know. Hmm. No, so we're actually in broad agreement. It's just that you kind of deprecated um, a definition of Mr. Global to be a sort of 20th century idea of, of what these tactics would look like. And I think that's sleeping on how deeply this is a technocratic plot because it's um, like Europe as the, the EU and the Brussels model must survive. Like that's the kind of thought uh, that goes through them. It doesn't work, but it like we're actually talking about the same thing. And, and it's just, like, what's the version? Of, how do you track open borders? It, like, let's say Soros's wet dream came through and, and the entire world is open borders. Well, how do you monitor where people are? Like, it's not just you can wander in willy nilly wherever you want. It's the opposite of that. It's that you put a border around the planet. Right. And that's actually what ID 2020 is. So this is not necessarily. Um, contraindicated like oh fortress america fortress europe absolutely and this is a thing this has been like the kind of like national security policy for the u.s for the last eight years to be honest it's not even a trump thing it's the kind of drawing up of the drawbridges but but europe's in a really bad way like is it not europe itself the countries and and the landscape but the eu as a project's in a really really bad way really bad way and and it would have ended this year had it not if this is what I think it is, it would have ended this year anyway. It still does end, but this is like a Hail Mary to get that to work. Mm. And I love all this for real. And let's maybe zoom in a little bit because we call this as a bit of an emergency meeting because people have a lot of immediate concerns and they're worried about how this is going to affect them and the people they know personally. And Obviously, it is a big agenda. If we want to know who kicked the can, you know, that started this whole snowball effect, we got to look at the top. But to back it up to the bubbles and the idea of what data is showing up, I mean, 
outside of even medical data, if we look at what seems to be the potential economic impact, what do you think is important for people listening to know? It, 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 much like the health question, that's on an individual basis. You need to do a risk assessment. Like what is it if you work for um, if you're a seat cleaner at, at an NBA stadium, um, it's just to Chris's point about, you know, closing all the events for the rest of the year, uh, they will probably reopen in the summer. Uh, but but they will reopen in the summer because we will have had a 25 percent reduction in GDP. Like it's it falls off a cliff. So you need to look at where you are. Um, where does your money come from? And in the short term, if you're um, a government employee, you should be all right. Um, if you're at a middling college, dust off the resume because um, college applications are about to sink into nothing, in particular, the kind of like mid-rank expensive, they're, they're like, no one's showing up for them, right? But if you're at Harvard, you'll be fine. You will always be fine. So it, it's kind of like, if you've just opened a cafe, um, start praying, like, work out where it is that uh, you are economically. And, and and that's what I mean by find your helms deep. Like, what does your life look like if you have no money coming in? Like, where where is that? And and talk to your friends about it if you think, well, actually, my friends down the road, we could probably all live together. That's a three-bedroom house. Um, and so with some sort of government assistance, we'd be able to pay that rent and we'd have shared childcare and so on. Talk to them because they're thinking the same thing. Okay, and it doesn't mean do it. It means work out what your helm's deep is, because it will. You we're facing um, a not a recession, but like a depression level drop in economic activity. So you, you, everyone needs to kind of be where they are. That's the thing that I want people. Don't be afraid of the virus, um, within reason. And I mean, basically, don't. It's you know, it is equivalent to other illnesses that you would get over a flu season. And so if, th if that is something that puts you at personal risk, then you do need to be concerned about it. But if not, it doesn't. And focus instead on, on the things that you actually will need to take tactical action around. And that's kind of why, this is why we do the bubble thing. We can, we can look at the actual virus and we can speculate as to why the, the clear op components of this narrative are going on. And then the third thing is, whatever happens, we kind of have, a, a medium-term economic view that is is quite stuck, and and you don't need to solve who's in charge of it to to take the steps that you should be taking, um, even just for your own anxiety. And let me tell you, it sounds weird, but just talk to talk to your friends or family about what how what is the worst case scenario and how do we do it because they will be relieved to hear from you. Let me tell you that. I did want to come back to what you had said about the coronavirus thing being a drill. It's like we have event 201 last year, which is the tabletop simulation, then coronavirus, the live drill, and then potentially something that syncs up more with Martin Armstrong's model, an actual virus that people will think is the system crying wolf again, potentially. And so, you know, there is not one template to follow. You always got to be critical. You always got to be paying attention what happens one time is not necessarily what happens next time. So pay attention. And in summary, I would say drill down on that information about this being an artifact of testing, that it's an RNA artifact, not necessarily a virus. You don't necessarily need to be afraid of it. But when you get past that panic, then you maybe need to not be scared of a virus, but be prepared for the upcoming fallout. And Man, I, I definitely feel a little bit better and a little bit worse, but that is the nature <laughs> of the game here. And any parting words for the for the people from both of you? 
Uh, yeah, let me just cut in. Um, I would just say, like what I said before, I mean, get your spiritual house in order. Uh, you know, it's not going to save your life or your finances, but um, you will be uh, – you, you will – you know, to, to, to learn to accept, um, you know, both the good and the bad, I, I think – is is a one of the great um goals of all, of all spiritual systems and and i think that it's something that that i think we all need to to become aware of and and i think you know turning yourself on to these powers uh that surround us that we're told don't exist and you know we're told don't exist for you know for reasons right you know to make us more uh, efficient serfs but um to uh you know open your mind and your and your inner eye and your third eye, whatever you want to put it, to um, the fact that this is not a, a dead um, mechanistic world, but a world that is is teeming with all manner of, of energy and consciousness everywhere you turn, uh, I think will, you know, it, I think it will strengthen your immune system and it will, it will reduce your, your levels of panic and will allow you to make more rational and calm decisions because um, you, you'll be able to put things in a greater context that most people are discouraged from putting it in. And I hope that, again, I hope I don't sound too, too Pollyanna about it, but believe me, this is very hard, hard fought and hard won uh, wisdom on my part. Fair. Sure. Gordon, what are you thinking in terms of uh, parting words here? The old world is not coming back. Um, this is the end of it, which means you have. Um, no choice but to create the world that you actually want moving forward or, or you will get one. And that is, there is a, there is an optimism that actually kind of flows on from what Chris was just saying there, which is it, this, there is no return to normalcy. Um, this is a, this is a big deal and the, and the correct and, and glass half full way of looking at that is that, um, you have nothing preventing you from actually, um, living the life that uh, that you should be living. Mm. Well, cheers to that. Fellas, <laughs> this has been a long time coming, getting these three aspects of the Godhead on one podcast, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> if I could be so presumptuous to insert myself in there. But man, I'm glad we could make it happen. Of course, people can follow Gordon's take at runesoup.com and people can follow Chris's take at secretsun.blogspot.com. I appreciate you both and uh, all the stuff we talked about today. I think people will as well. Couldn't do it without you. Keep doing what you do and take care out there. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Greg. Always a pleasure. Well, feed me Seymour. Big show today. The biggest of shows. Of course, I don't have to tell you that. But this was also just very cathartic for me to hear how both Chris and Gordon are looking at this thing. It's difficult to parse. There are various layers and players and motivations. Never let a good crisis go to waste is definitely in play here. So all the cockroaches with a playbook do seem to be scrambling to gain some ground against us. Corporations who can take a bigger chunk out of the middle class. Wall Street parasites digital tech companies that want to use this as exhibit A as to why they should be a bigger part of our lives and we're safer just speaking to each other through their platforms. Political think tanks seizing the opportunity. Who knows who was in it from the beginning and who just jumped in opportunistically. 
But when you hear about Bill Gates maneuvering around and Jeff Bezos selling off a lot of stock and groups of senators, probably more than we've even heard about, using their privileged insights from the CDC to sell off their stocks a few weeks before the crash they knew was coming, you add it all up and definitely something stinks there. But I do start to think that the questions of who caused this, where it originated, is the virus real or not, who's holding the reins here, these are all interesting questions. But my read on the people right now is that they'd much rather just know how they should expect this to affect them. It's too invasive. It's already affecting us. And this ain't no alien moon bases show here, you know? And biological false flag, I think, might be a good term for this. And when 9-11 happened, it seemed so epic and new. But then I learned about the history of false flags and realized it's not a new strategy, just a new way of doing it. And I feel the same way here, that when you watch these presentations that go over polio and the use of DDT chemical pesticides, and then you hop over the Spanish flu and the widespread use of the first round of aspirin, and then you look at HIV AIDS and you look at SARS, and you start to see a lot of nastiness going on in the chaos of those times of these so-called pandemics, and it's typically a culling and an attack on the poor. So I'm very hesitant to go full on viruses don't cause disease and pandemics don't happen because I think that's a position that just turns a lot of people off. It's way too deep and it probably maybe even goes too far. It just could be a dangerous thing to say if you aren't really fucking sure and how could I be? But if we just drill down on this one particular coronavirus situation then I think we can make a good case that this testing is flawed, the treatments are harsh and life-threatening to certain people, and the economic effects of the overall protocol are affecting a lot more people. And it's, of course, less hands-on, but I don't think the term culling of the poor and old is too drastic a term to at least be thinking about as we see what rolls out. Also, China knocking down the market just like they swept up and shipped off the wreckage of 9-11, another little parallel to that. But this was one episode we just threw together real quick, and we bypassed my typical editing process, but I still think it's very listenable. We're all professionals by now. I'm sure we could have improved it slightly, but this isn't the kind of show that you want to wait five more days for. And it's just such a special assembling of the crew I also considered dropping it out for everyone, but I literally just did that yesterday with David Crow. I've been working like mad, and I set this system up for support, yes, so I could get out of my job at GameStop, and thank God, because they're doing some pretty nefarious stuff right now in the wake of this crisis, acting like slave drivers and telling their employees who make minimum wage if they want Purell, it's best to just bring it from home. But I built this, and now I actually have obligations to those people to provide them the content that they pay for. So I'm going to honor that. Both Chris and Gordon also have premium support platforms too, so they can both use the second hour in that way as well. Gordon's been doing that for RuneSuit members for quite some time. And now that I think about it, if this situation does tend to go on and on, 
and Gordon wanted to do an ongoing series of semi-regular updates for those members, and we wanted to call it the Bubble Boys, I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> In fact, I did just see that he is taking a page out of Joseph Farrell's book that I think is excellent and opening up a section of his premium content to be a sort of Corona Chaos newsroom so that he can spin this off into its own thing and keep it coming in a more private way because I don't think you can keep having these conversations on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. It's kind of like there are a lot of things you can't say on network TV. Then move to cable and there's fewer things you can't say and then go full on, hey, I paid for this HBO or Sirius XM and then you can do whatever you want. I think we should keep that in mind when it comes to trying to keep this ship going. Tone down some of the public talk. But when we shut the blinds and lock the doors inside of the Plus Club, we can't get fucked with. And I'm just spitballing here, but clearly I was having these thoughts just yesterday when I wrapped up the David Crow episode. I don't know about building out a part of the website, but our Plus member forum is grossly underused. I am going to make a Corona Chaos thread, and we can help keep each other stay informed. And just like Chris and Gordon, if we have some disagreements on how to interpret all this and what the real storyline is, let's talk about it. We're all on the same side, we're inner circle, so be respectful, but let's let our ideas stand up to scrutiny, like college was supposed to be about back in the day. So that's what I think we're going to do for now. We're going to utilize the form a bit more, and we can share news and articles without the risk of a real deplatforming. I'm going to be good on Twitter. I'm going to treat social media more like network TV censorship standards. It doesn't change the podcast itself. It's just changing all that other shit. Also, I got to say this, and it was actually one of my favorite parts of this show, and it was only in the second hour, but I got worked up and started talking about the shaming that I'm seeing of people who are outside or stories of people calling the cops because they see a bar that's still serving, or the countless comments I've gotten about why did you have a friend in the room with your joint session, and why were you sharing joints? Enough of that, but I made the point that tens of thousands of people are listening right now. What advice do we have for them when it comes to combating that sort of behavior because it is a dangerous slide. It gets very Orwellian. And of course, there are actually tens of thousands of free listeners, but definitely not plus people. I mean, could you imagine if I had 10,000, let alone tens of thousands of plus members, we'd have been doing some pretty big, big things. Brooks Agnew would be on that expedition to the inner earth. I can tell you that. We'd have funded some stuff by now for sure. I mentioned on a wrap-up not long ago that while I can't do the money bomb anymore, I would like to get back into that mindset of possibly having an ongoing aspect of those like third world micro loans. You know those websites where it's like, if you could just buy this poor man five goats, he can start a business off of that milk and cheese and survive. But he needs 200 bucks, you know. That's the level that I'm thinking about because that's where we are. I mean, we don't even have 5% of the full audience coming over to the plus side, sadly. 
It's all good. I mean, we get by. This is not a pity party for me at all. I'm just saying, number one, my timing was bad when I brought up that tens of thousands of people are listening in the wrong part of the show. But number two, and much more importantly, I just wanted to talk to you about those things now because they were in the second hour. And now that we're in the wrap-up, and it literally is anyone who listens to THC, our full audience, and of course, the ones who stick around to the end, it's important to remember that we aren't small in numbers, and even though we are regulated to our homes, we aren't alone. Yes, I'm the conduit, and you guys don't have a lot of direct coordination yourselves, but I'm talking to enough people right now to fill Madison Square Garden three times over. And besides giving myself a mild heart attack and anxiety-inducing stage fright in the comfort of my own home, we do have agents everywhere, so to speak. And we can have an effect on how effective the psychological operation and the socioeconomic operation is to a degree. So the idea of shaming people who are outside of ratting each other out in this gross way, calling the police because a bar is still serving. As Gordon said, you don't know if that guy is just trying to sell enough beer to buy treatment for his sick mother. So I do think we should help tone down the judgment without being confrontational or aggressive, more flies with honey and all that. But we should not stand idly by and let everything amplify like that. Even if you share Chris's opinion that this is a bioweapon and you can get sick, it's still easy to see that the virus isn't going to affect everyone, and it's not going to be inside every public business that's closed right now. Yet the economic impact will affect everyone, and some of these closed businesses might not come back. In the Plus show, when we were having this conversation, Gordon also said, start with kindness, and if we see this sort of shaming, We should say, look, you just don't know about that person's mental health, what their needs are. Maybe they need this. So ease up. And also, both of them were pretty much in agreement when we said, this is what we're for. And I agree. We built these communities over time. And it might just be fun stuff to listen to on your way to work when work was the thing back in the old world. But it is not a time to sit idly by. Or for saying I told you so, just because we did sound the alarm bell on the technocratic totalitarian tiptoe and have been for a long time, as Jordan Peterson would say, be the reliable person at a funeral. Funeral, so to speak, of course. I don't know. It's all just my word vomit stemming from wanting to know what we can do, how this show could be helpful how we could subtly seed a tone that will help our situation not throw fuel on the fire. As both Gordon and Chris talked about, we have astrological markers and predictive models that both say this time period is likely a blip on the radar compared to next year. As Chris said, this might have been more of a drill. And like Gordon wrote in Chaos Protocols, I think, he definitely said it on THC at least a year ago, but permaculture is fun and necessary. Don't you want to learn these things when it's still just a hobby and not when everything is in the red? Of course, panicking never got anyone anywhere, 
but having conversations about preparedness can be useful. Just trying to stay positive and not end with that particular comment. Um, so in the Plus Show, we did discuss things like Event 201 and pandemic drill running, the potential of an incoming asteroid, that story's out there, Chris's shamanic illness, getting in touch with the spirits, what policies we might expect to see in the aftermath here, what Chris is seeing on the synchro mystic side, definitely good stuff, and of course, what conversation is ever complete without a little Nick Cage. So let me just stop talking and back away from my computer. It has been a pretty rapid fire four days, but I do care a lot about what's happening. And I know people do look to us for ideas and answers. And I wanted to do my best to make you feel like you have invested your time wisely. So just doing what a humble stoner college dropout can do here. But thanks for listening and do take care of you and yours. Big thanks to Chris and Gordon, two of the great loves of my life, and I'll see you later. Your move assistants and agents of Mr. Global's technocratic takeover, your fucking move. This is important, hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you, it's not paranoia, not in my head. It's just the hard truth. Knocked on your door while I still can. Ask you a question Cause I know your head Is still in the sand Don't be sheep to your slaughter For the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed But you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed Until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world Scarier every day Scary dark world No matter what you say Scary dark world Don't think we'll be okay Can't you see that we're so Ooh. You sit and wish But we don't have a choice Seems we're stuck here, but you can find noses, drown out the noise. Now use that altar, and up your magic game, and listen to THC, you know, you go with the entities, if you ever see the UFO. Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life, oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world Scarier every day Scary dark world
oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung fu? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway. It's a scary dark world. Can't you see that we're so 